Hello and welcome to episode 181 of the End Focus podcast. I am your irregular host, Andrew Brown, and I am joined by our regular co-host, Tori Wassenaar. Tori, how are you doing today? I am lovely. How are you? I am lovely as well. We should uh, we should enter a beauty pageant. Does that sound like fun? Yeah, I reckon. Okay. What's your talent? My talent? Oh, mm. um, I can wiggle my ears independently. Damn, that's impressive. Yeah. Freaks people out. All I can do is rub my belly and pat my head at the same time. It's not very impressive. The trick is to also uh, move your the hand on your head in circles as well while you're patting. Makes it a lot easier. Yeah, that's what I do. But then it ends up messing up my hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you got to keep your hair looking good. We're trying to win this thing. Oh, yeah. It's a slow week of Nintendo releases right now seem to be in a bit of a lull but there's still some stuff going on in nintendo world that we'll be talking about and we'll be coming back with some uh new indies and some old indies latest nintendo news uh, it's been announced that the 3ds and the wii u eShops are going to stop accepting payments a little over a year from now in march 2023 tori give me your hot take um, bad for the consumer because there's no, um, substantial replacement. That's It's so hot that it was that quick. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. And yet I'm also like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I think my problem with it is more on principle. I watched a, a video by modern vintage gamer recently that brought up the point that I've been thinking about as well, that. The Xbox store has been the same Xbox store since 2005. That's actually, that's impressive. Yeah. The 360 games that you bought back then, you know, as long as they're compatible with the, the new Xbox, they're still yours. Yeah, I recently got an Xbox Series X and I was uh, a little uh, overwhelmed maybe when I booted it up and I logged into my old Xbox 360 profile, which I literally, I hadn't used in eight years i think uh and all the games that i had gotten for free through xbox live were still there <laughs> i was like oh i remember all those maybe i'll actually play them now <laughs> <laughs> but it is a good example of what nintendo could do at the very least with their virtual console like they have offered an alternative that i don't think a lot of consumers were happy with it's okay for me like, again, it's all on principle. I don't really want to play NES games anymore. I've played mm. everything I wanted to play, mostly on SNES as well. Yeah, I just think it's bad that um, Nintendo aren't really giving enough control to the consumer or the average gamer to actually access stuff that they've bought on the Wii U and the 3DS anymore. You can still re-download those on the hardware, but... Well, I haven't said much because I know that I'm going to be Mr. Unpopular for the things I have to say about this, but uh, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I've been saying for years this is what's going to happen, and now it's happening. Hate to say I told you so, <laughs> but I never spent money on the 3DS or the Wii U eShops or even the Wii eShop for that matter. Uh, I have spent quite a bit of money on the Switch eShop. It's the first digital storefront I've ever spent a significant amount of money on but I also go to 
great lengths to make sure that I have all those games downloaded at all times. I don't just assume the eShop is going to be around and accessible for me to get to it. That's probably going to bite me in the butt later, really. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to regret that stance later on. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be the person that I'm laughing at now, complaining about no longer having the eShop available, but I've never been all that impressed or excited by the virtual console because uh i've i've always god i'm i'm just the worst person in the world on this topic but i have the cartridges so i don't need i never needed the virtual console so i never cared and for that matter roms we've we've talked about roms a bit the past couple episodes uh that was actually where i played a lot of the super nes classics like I, I never had Chrono Trigger on the console. That was way too rare and way too expensive. But I played it a ton through ROMs, and quite frankly, I think if people want to play them now, that would be the first thing I would tell them to do. Forget Virtual Console, forget Nintendo Switch Online. Just download a ROM and just play the ROM. <laughs> yeah, which um, people will say is illegal, but... It, it is. It, yeah, if they're not making them readily available... Are you really stealing money from Nintendo? No, yeah, exactly. It's a victimless crime. You're like the rights holders are missing out on some money nominally for games they aren't publishing. Like I buy ports and remakes all the damn time, and I will continue to do so if they put out, you know, versions of Chrono Trigger. <laughs> we'll go back to that one as the classic example. I will immediately buy a remake or a port of Chrono Trigger, just like I bought the collection of mana. But I'm not going to begrudge somebody who just plays the ROM for free, which is the exact same thing. In many ways, is probably better than the emulation that whoever published the thing has put together and is much cheaper. Yeah, well, I think it turned out that um, Nintendo at one point was using ROMs that somebody else <laughs> dumped. So yeah. it, it's just frustrating that uh, Nintendo are basically effectively leaving money on the table with a lot of their retro stuff. I don't think the way that they do it where they have like the micro consoles or the subscription service, I don't think that's effective. But when it's homebrew emulation, ROMs, you know, because that, that also doubles as a preservation effort. It does and it doesn't. I, I've always been conflicted about calling it preservation because if you're not playing it on the original console, on an original TV, it's not preserved. It's it's on a new format. It's but not the same experience, so it's no. not preservation. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that the technology will degrade and the data mm -hmm. is effectively the most important part of that. So as long as the data is preserved, it lives on in a form. That That's my take on it. Ideally you'd want the original hardware and the original software, but that's not always possible just because time exists. Well, and also going back to the Xbox point and, you know, talking about degradation of hardware and continuing technology, the Xbox has had the advantage of always being on the same, not the same infrastructure. I'm sure they've changed, but they've had a continuity to it. And their stuff has always been online. Like the original Xbox, it took it a few years, but it had Xbox Live integration and the Xbox 360, the Xbox One, and now the Series X. They're just, they're online beasts of consoles. But Nintendo never had that, and they've always been very reluctant to really seriously do online. Like you had to go to the Wii U before you could really 
download like entire first party games you had to go with the physical route which is one thing that i appreciated nintendo for because i preferred to have physical games obviously the marketplace and the ecosystem has changed significantly and kind of left me behind there but i i continue to stick with nintendo as my primary console because i know if i go with them i'm going to be able to get a physical version of the game that will work forever not like if I buy Halo today and I get a disc for it and there's basically nothing on the disc, that disc is worthless once Xbox Live is gone. I'll have the disc, but it won't do anything. Yeah, well, again, that that's something that... Um, like the online multiplayer for the DS and I think the Wii now is offline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't play it anymore, which is a real problem for some games. Officially, you can't play it, but certain games have third-party support infrastructure yeah, which is easier for some games. I, I remember playing a few Wii shooters online that actually used GameSpy. Anybody remember GameSpy? Raise your <laughs> hands. <laughs> but the the systems that, or the, or the games that used platforms like GameSpy, uh, it's a lot easier to trick those into going on to third-party services versus like when Mario Kart is no longer playable online as the... Uh, the DS and the Wii versions are no longer playable. Uh, that's a lot harder to uh, to trick the system with that. You're going to have to homebrew your system, which isn't easy for a lot of people to do. No. But I think a lot of the people who homebrew will be too difficult are also the sort of people who will be like, oh, I'll just get Mario Kart 8. That's fine. They, they don't care. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot of also hand-wringing about issues that the mainstream consumer doesn't actually care about yeah and i mean I'll, I'll, again the the wii u hasn't actually sold particularly well no so people are making mm-hmm. the argument of who's really affected by this and again it's a matter of principle the 3ds has sold in the millions tens of millions actually i think something like 78 million consoles and after this you're not even going to be able to download um free demos or mm-hmm. updates that you haven't already downloaded because you had to manually patch things yeah for a while on switch i was even collecting demos just so i'd have them just for you know a decade or two down the line when the switch eShop goes away uh <laughs> i would still have this stockpile of demos for some reason if, if somebody wanted them even though i'm really not I'm not plugged into the community in that kind of way where they would actually be accessible to anybody, but I would have them just on the principle of the thing. But yeah, I, I, I have found it interesting. The Wii eShop, I, I don't know, COVID has made it kind of hard to keep track of the compression on time, but didn't the Wii eShop just shut down like not even two years ago? It does feel like that. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. And now um, the 3DS the Wii U eShop, 2019. Yeah, so it, okay, it was three years ago. A year plus a year with time compression in COVID because nothing means anything anymore. <laughs> but it was just interesting how much time there was between the Wii and the Wii U. And now it's only been two, three years and they're already shutting down the Wii U eShop, which I kind of get because the Wii U was a bit of a bomb. And I have browsed the Wii U eShop to look for things to buy. And it was just a lot of trash and shovelware that i could never imagine spending money on apparently there's some real gems in there but i never found them and 
the, the 3ds eShop i find more surprising is shutting down i would think that there would still be a pretty decent install base on that that they would want to keep going especially for you know if nothing else the virtual console because apparently the success of metroid dread actually did lead to a kick up in sales of the old metroid, metroid games, games on yeah. virtual console yeah even, even though you could play them on switch online they're all there so you know grain of well, salt the, on that one the gba games you can't play on switch and i think those were the ones that topped out mm-hmm. that makes sense prime yeah. trilogy maybe which again they're, now they're going to be trapped on the wii u unless you can find uh, a physical copy and uh i don't know about america i think america's not too bad but Australia, the second-hand, uh, second-hand retro market, is very expensive. Uh, I found a copy of uh, Pokemon Fire Red on the Game Boy Advance for two hundred Australian dollars the other day. I'm not too plugged into the second-hand market right now. Uh, that was another part of my life when I was buying things that old. Uh, most of my money now goes towards new releases, unfortunately, but that's just the nature of trying to stay up to date on this podcast. But I I have seen images of the Pokemon games being that expensive, and the Pokemon games used in good condition have always been that expensive. Last I heard, it was the Super NES games that were going for mondo prices in spite of the existence of the eShop, but you have people who want to play games on the virtual console because they want to play the games. And then you have the speculators who are buying classic games because they think there'll be investments later. And also they're competing with collectors who just want to own the games, not so much play them or want to own them on the original hardware and not the virtual console version. Yeah, it, it gets muddy. And the fact that we keep coming back to virtual console, I think shows that that, that was the biggest part of the eShop. That's the, everyone's go-to when they think of the classic eShop. But there are digital-only releases that are just going to be impossible to acquire. Well, there, there already are some that are almost impossible to acquire or outright impossible to acquire. Like, uh, they released a standalone version of Four Swords Adventures yeah. a Zelda game for 3DS that was only available to ambassadors, I think. The people who bought the hardware when it launched when it was overpriced and had no software so they gave them that as like a consolation prize basically uh, i think that's the story i i know that it was available early in the platform's life exclusively through nintendo and you just you can't get it now yeah that, I, I think it was even just you just have to download it before a certain date however it worked it's no longer accessible and that just seems to be nintendo's thing they like creating scarcity of their products because uh-huh. of uh, yeah. That, that sounds like a, another recent trend, doesn't it? <laughs> we're, we're not going to turn this into a NFT discussion. But anyway, <laughs> um, even stuff like Pushmo, that's not going to be available anymore. I remember when the Wii, sh- uh, Wii eShop shut down, I was really sad that um, there was this game called The Crystal Chronicles uh, My Life as a King, uh, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy. I loved that game. I never finished it, but I loved it. I feel like that one's been made available elsewhere. I think that one's on Steam. I don't think it is. Let's look it up right now, since we have internet right here in front of us. Yeah, just we. Well, shoot. It's not a mainline Final Fantasy game, but the fact that it's still 
Yeah. It's got the Final Fantasy badge on it. It was a, a third-party release on the Wii. Nobody can play it right now, legally. Unless you're willing to buy a, a Wii that already has it installed on it. Well, that's the other thing, is that these eShops are tied to the console, aren't they? Yeah, they are. So if your console dies before you can transfer it, that's it. You can't even get screwed out of your money to rebuy them on a new console. It, it's just... I really do think that Nintendo should have put some effort into consolidating this infrastructure for their shops. Because clearly that's the reason why they're shutting this down. Is that they're, they're separate storefronts. No, that That's the advantage of the Xbox is they're doing that Play Anywhere, I think, is that initiative that it was called, where they're, they're actually serious about that. They want all their games to be available everywhere, which I kind of thought was an interesting strategy because it, it basically eliminated the advantage of exclusivity. It's like, well, why do I have to uh, get an Xbox to play Halo if I can just play it on PC? So that seemed like a problem to me, but now looking at what Nintendo is pulling here is like, oh, actually, maybe Microsoft knew what they were doing. <laughs> On, on some degree, I don't know where they pulled this experience out of or if they actually decided early on to have some foresight. But whatever they've done, it's clearly worked out in the best interest of the consumer compared to the others. I mean, ideally, you'd want every game to be backwards compatible, but it's still what we have is better than not having anything at all a la the PS5 and nintendo i don't like you know pitting hemispheres against each other but i i am noticing that it's the two japanese companies who are making it really difficult to play things like that uh on their new hardware and the american company that is like oh sure yeah you could play that old stuff on our console that's fine we want you to do that i i just wonder what what sort of corporate philosophy is happening there it's not really a uh a cultural thing referring to countries it's more of a corporate cultural thing something's happening there and uh i, I do not have the inside information to describe why that is yeah that's a, actually a good point sony's had their own significant problems with their online and i, I would even say you know you, even though they've had bigger products available for a longer period of time their disasters have been far more disastrous than anything nintendo has done all nintendo has done has been a little unfriendly to the consumer which quite frankly has always been kind of the way nintendo has behaved so if i'm sounding a little flippant or dismissive of the complaints about this being shut down it's because it's like well yeah it's nintendo what did you expect? <laughs> they don't care about internet, really. They they never have. They had to be basically forced into developing internet infrastructure because everybody else was doing it and everybody was asking for it, even though clearly they, uh, you know, not to brush too broadly by saying they, but uh, they aren't really interested in it. Super Mario Party or that most recent Mario Party one sounds like the first time that they've actually figured out how to do a Mario Party game with online. Like, that should not be difficult. But Nintendo wants people to interact with each other in person, which has always been the obstacle with getting them to embrace internet play. Yeah, I think the um, pandemic definitely lit a fire underneath them. 
<laughs> but uh, I, even at first, Sony wasn't fully convinced on online. I remember the um, the PS2 having to need a modem add-on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm almost willing to cut them some slack on that to say that was a. I, I think that was a cost-saving measure for them, like because it didn't have a hard drive either. I remember the the big old slot in the back of my PS2 I could plug a hard drive into that I never did because I was like, why? What do I what do I need this for? I have I have discs and I have memory cards. Isn't this all I need? Uh, it's 2001 and I'm 15 years old. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do remember that Xbox with the 360 were the ones to push forward the idea of not start the idea because i'm pretty sure it had been done before but like an online marketplace they were the ones to Mm -hmm. really bring that idea to the forefront and having the internal storage to really support that yeah but it was still done in the same way as the the wii which actually now that i think about it i think the wii was technically first anyway I i don't remember who was first to market i feel like the wii was actually a bit behind the others i remember wii came out in uh November, hmm. and the Xbox 360 came out, I think, in March. Wow, okay. Boy, uh, that that period of my life is just a blur. Lots of things going on in my life, and none of them good, so <laughs> I was not really playing video games then. <laughs> I do remember an issue with the Wii was it didn't have internal storage, and it would only take SD cards, and so then hmm. you know, games like Rock Band were getting really huge with all the DLC you could get for them, and you had to store all your DLC on SD cards and SD cards were not that big back then. A good size SD card was eight and 16 gigabytes, which is nothing today. That's, that's bottom basement here. But back then that was, that was an investment to get a card that size. And then you weren't going to store that much on it. No, not really. And there were a lot of features locked behind that SD card as well. But yeah, overall, I think this is a um, a bit of a bad move. I feel like after the PlayStation stuff, people were calling on Nintendo to like, hey, look, this is what you should not be doing. And Nintendo went, gotcha. We'll tell you a year in advance. That was the problem. <laughs> uh, it doesn't directly affect me. I still got my 3DS and Wii U. I just hope they don't break. Yeah. I'm not too worried about my Wii U, but my 3DS, like I, I have... I have several 3DSs actually, and more than one of them I've had significant hardware issues with and had to send them in to be repaired. I've never had that problem with Nintendo hardware until the 3DS came out. <laughs> like my my original NES and my Super NES that I've had since I was a kid, they still work. <laughs> we used to call it a uh, Nintendium because you could not break these things unless you were, you know, <laughs> really trying. <laughs> oh, and even then. It, it yeah. was some effort. Like you used to be able to go to uh, at the Nintendo store in Nintendo New York or Times, whatever it's called. They had a uh, Game Boy on display that was melted during the Gulf War, and it still worked. It still played. <laughs> you could you could sit there in its display case, and you could see it playing Tetris, the demo screen for it. This otherwise melted <laughs> Game Boy uh, still playing Tetris. They Incredible. truly don't make them like they used to. I would I would be nervous with my Switch just outside on a hot day. Oh, that thing scratches really easily. Whatever they make that backing out of. Oh, wow. It just scoffs. But yeah, there's always emulation 
Um, mm -hmm. Legally, I can't condone it, but morally, what options do you have? Um, I think Gabe Newell said that um, video game piracy is more often than not an issue of service, that if you want to stop piracy, your best bet is to offer a better service than what the pirates can offer. I've heard that. I don't remember if it was Gabe Newell who said it, but I've heard that argument before and I agree with it. Like I used to pirate movies and download songs and things like that until I got an income. And then I started, you know, happily, you know, paying for them. But, you know, that, that also happened concurrently with like the rise of streaming and Netflix. So who knows, maybe if that had never happened and they were still charging, well, they are still charging 30 and 40 dollars for new movie releases <laughs> i just don't buy them <laughs> i just don't buy them because i can just get them on streaming yeah uh you know who knows maybe if that hadn't happened i would still be downloading movies i can't say well i can tell you now if nintendo offered um individual purchases for some virtual console games like i'd really love to play the wario land games again but i just cannot legally it's just not possible. So, what options am I left with? If, if I could buy them on Switch, I would, but I can't. Nintendo seem to just not understand that people want to give them money for their products. And they won't well, let them. We also have to understand that we, as a community that sits on our chairs and speaks into microphones and sh screams in all caps about this stuff on social media, we are a very small bubble of all the people who play video games. And just because we want something and we would do something doesn't mean that it's cost effective for Nintendo to do it. So it might look like, you know, everybody wants to play Crystal Chronicles My Life as a King, but that's not necessarily true. You could bring that up with the wider audience of people who play games in totality, and they would have absolutely no idea what you're talking about and not be in any way interested. But by the same token, the other side of the coin, maybe they would be interested, but they will just never know that it even exists because it's not available. Yeah, so there's the the marketing gamble there. It's like, mm. is this something we can sell to a new audience? And I think when given the option between making something new that's known, like a known quantity, or bringing back something that was, you know, a cult hit on WiiWare, but people in the wider audience don't really know what it is, they aren't willing to do that so like we're lucky yeah. this year we're, we're getting a remake of live alive which is great i think that's a game that a lot of people aren't really aware of until you know this remake came along now a lot of more people are aware of it those examples are the exception and not the rule yeah but ultimately that means that the market or capitalism that's the the winning factor here and on principle that means that certain games just don't get preserved or remembered and i think that's wrong on a games are art level because that's a part of our collective mm -hmm. culture that's lost i guess that's my that my biggest issue with it so thank goodness that we have the emulator market and everything not market you know what i mean community 
But at the same time, that's not legal, apparently. I'm, I'm really, I'm not at all interested in the question of legality when it comes to ROMs, because... Well, Nintendo, wow. Yeah. Yeah, good for Nintendo, but... Bad things have happened to certain people who've gotten involved in that stuff, but the vast majority of people who've downloaded ROMs, which I'm sure is almost everybody my age when they were a teenager played ROMs because that was just, that was how we played video games. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. I'm not conflating legality with morality. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's more of a, you could think that the, the law is wrong in this case, but still have to put up with the consequences, even if you don't agree that there should be any. It's a philosophical dilemma. <laughs> well, it's a cognitive dissonance. Like, I, I am a generally a believer of do the crime, do the time, but I'm also a believer of this law is stupid, we should get rid of it, mm. and, you know, <laughs> acquit anybody who is uh, currently serving time for it. So Yeah, like I said, it's a philosophical quagmire, really, because we can talk all day about the law versus morality, because... Quite often they don't line up, especially in a, in a society where the law represents capital rather than people. Well, I mean, and if the argument is is all about capital, it's like, these are our IP. You cannot, you know, play it for free. You've got to give us some money for it. Well, it's like, you have given me absolutely no avenue to give you money for it. So the argument that you're losing out on money through me playing it through an illegally downloaded free ROM is moot like there is no money moving on this specific thing at all and it's through your inaction that that that's happening so there's there's that's why the legal issue comes up but there's no moral issue nobody is taking anything from anybody through through most of these games like exactly Legend of Mana is on Switch now. I think it's on all platforms now. So, like, you know, maybe finding an ISO of the PS1 version of Legend of Mana and playing it on a PS1 emulator, maybe there that's not okay. But It's more of a gray area. Yeah. The vast majority of games that I think people are playing on ROMs are games that are just not available anymore. And that is the market that is making that happen. And the market can't complain if they're not providing a product or service that is in demand. And if it's in so little demand that is not cost-effective to meet the demand, then there is no issue with people acquiring it however they need to. That very small number Mm. acquiring it however they need to so they can play it. Ultimately just means that it's all about the capital. It's all about the money. Which I think all leads nicely back to the Wii U and the 3DS. Like I think that's why Nintendo's shutting them down. The Wii oh, yeah. U certainly. They're just they're not making any money off them anymore. It's costing them. Either they're not making enough money to justify keeping the services going, or they are losing money. losing money maintaining yeah. these systems versus what people are still spending money on those services. Even though I did see there was a Wii U game that did get released on the Wii U eShop not too long ago. Oh. Uh, there was some, there's a few joke news stories about that. Uh, but I, I'm sure, I'm sure nobody involved made money off that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, there's still Vita games still being released. So, well, up until it closed, I that, think. That's, that's more of a market thing where like with the Vita just, you know, crashed and burned everywhere that wasn't Japan. So... <laughs> Like, 
yeah, they're still releasing stuff for it in Japan, or at least up until very recently they were, but that's because it was actually a successful product there. But yet, well, Sony was still looking to close that one down. So hmm. it's ultimately it's a it's a corporation sacrificing I'd say moral obligation even because they're the only ones that can properly provide the service and it is a representation of culture and art and they're just shutting it down. So maybe obligation is too strong a word but I still feel like Yeah. Well, they uh... have a they have a a responsibility tied to being such a big part of of this <laughs> so, culture. So many words here I would never associate with the word corporation. Art, responsibility. <laughs> what, what was the other one? You, uh... <laughs> Obligation. Uh, yeah, but I, I would tie that one. There was a third one back there. I'll, I'll, I'll see it when I'm doing the edit and I'll go, oh, that was the third one. But anyway... So many words here I would never associate with corporation. <laughs> like, and I, I don't even expect it from them, which is another reason why like, Nintendo shutting down the 3DS and Wii U, yeah, this was inevitable. Like, I, I'm not even going to get mad about this because uh, I saw this coming. This is why I keep all my stuff downloaded on my Switch at all times. Uh, I, I do that uh, half for uh, paranoid apocalyptic reasons where uh, I'm worried that the internet will be attacked in some way by some malicious force and uh, i don't want all my video games to just disappear overnight that is a thing that could happen people don't want to just reckon with that fact but the internet is more vulnerable than we want to admit it is and we have tied too much of our life into it for uh it not to be a viable target for somebody who wants to really wreck the world uh, but if, if you have a 3ds or a wii u download whatever you have yeah and just keep it like that's another problem that i run into is like well i want to play all my virtual console games on switch it was like why can't you just play them on your wii u well i sold my wii u don't sell your wii u <laughs> like, there there's there's a certain point where i just don't have any empathy for people who complain about things they want because they don't do the things necessary to keep the things they want they just rely on the goodwill of the corporation that's only interested in making money, which is just like, duh, of course that happened. Of course the corporation screwed you out of it and wants you to give them more money to play it on a new platform with a new product. It's like, obviously. like, Well, yeah, you can expect them to do the wrong thing and still chastise them for doing the wrong thing, though. Oh, we absolutely must, because nothing will change otherwise, but... It, being surprised when they do the wrong thing it just yeah. reaches a point of naivete <laughs> it's like exasperation but once again i'm uh, hedging into the area where uh, my lack of empathy for other people on this topic uh, starts making me the bad guy in the situation but i i just i really don't i don't have a whole lot of empathy for other people on this topic yeah i i think that's definitely personal responsibility by the same token, I think it, this would be like shutting down the Louvre just because it's not cost effective anymore and nobody can appreciate this art at all anymore. You can't see the Mona Lisa or whatever whatever else is there, I don't know. I, I'm not comparing yes no. I'm mean... not comparing games to paintings, but like the, the essence of it being a medium, an art form. 
Yeah, we're we're getting into NFT area here again. <laughs> if the Louvre did get shut down, the Mona Lisa would be fine. It would find a home elsewhere, which is just like. Well, no, you know, I'm the... I'm saying, imagine it shut down and they just locked the doors and kept the paintings in there. Well, that that's a different situation entirely. You know, that's well, that's the point where we're all living in our biodomes and only rich people have video games to play anymore. Well, whatever the scenario, that that that's what I'm likening this to. This is basically Nintendo going. All this stuff, if you haven't seen it before, you'll never see it now. And just once again, I caution people to remember, like, you and all of your friends might have really fond memories of this thing, but you represent a very small part of all the people who play and buy video games, and Nintendo is going to cater to the largest group. And the largest group right now is no longer playing Wii U and 3DS, so... Yeah, this should not be surprising. But this is what I mean: is that it's a decision based on money, not on principle. Mm-hmm. And so I think, <laughs> I uh, think we've made our point. Yeah. So now we moved on to what we played this week. Tori, I believe you played a game where you kill a spider in hilariously over the top and unnecessarily extravagant ways. Why don't you tell us about that? Yes. Has this happened to you? You're in a house, it's filled with spiders, and all you can find is hairspray and a lighter. Yes, actually. Well, this game won't seem very new to you then. Uh, and neither will the fire insurance bill. Oh, uh, that, that got lost in the fire as well. Damn. <laughs> all, sue that spider. All according to plan. <laughs> So, Kill It With Fire is basically, I'd, I'd liken it to like a little bit of a physics sandbox, but with a little bit of direction in that you're in a space and you're surrounded by spiders. Uh, the first level, which is all I've actually played so far, but I had a lot of fun with it actually going into depth with um, finding all the spiders, killing them with a, a, var- a variety of different weapons, which later on you get a lot more uh, i'm looking at screenshots at the moment there's even a rocket launcher i know many people have joked online about you know burning their house down and moving to a new house <laughs> this... i have made that joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah 10 years before this game came out i think it's still on facebook oh yeah it, it's it's a popular uh, sentiment which this game lets you actually live out without real world consequences there's absolutely consequences unless you own the game's nft well (laughs) (laughs) they're getting the hiding in this episode uh the the beauty of this is that it it's a sandbox with a little bit of direction you're given a, a checklist of you know places to check or different varieties of how to kill the different spiders you can squish them by just stepping on them or you can have different items to actually pick up and smack them with the first level kind of it jumps the shark early so you know it's going to be silly and it gives you a handgun (laughs) oh nice yeah to shoot a spider with um but also it lets you you know you find your lighter and your hairspray and it lets you just make a uh, makeshift flamethrower burn whatever you see fit you know 
if you're in a house full of flammable objects and it's not really your house, you might see fit to burn the whole house down. Uh, it was interestingly done where it kind of traps you in a room and you can't move to the next room until you kill a certain amount of spiders. So it's kind of like Mario 64 with the with the stars. But it was a good way of just kind of... The, the problem I always have with sandboxes is that it's too open, so you feel mm-hmm. you're given too many options and you don't know which one to pick, which one's the best. Yeah, you freedom to, paralysis, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this definitely... You don't have that issue with because you're in a very tiny room to start off with. It's interesting to hear you have to kill a certain number of spiders to proceed. I, I thought it was going to be more like a puzzle game where like there's one spider in the room and you've just got to figure out how to get it with the bizarre tool you've been given. Is it more like a mayhem game? Because that, yeah. that's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's a little disappointing to me. That's why I went with physics sandbox because it, it it's not so much a puzzle game. It's more just hunting for spiders and then killing them with what you're given. Hmm. Uh, it, it, it's a game that I can see myself playing to just cause the mayhem, just to relax, sit back and just destroy stuff. I, I think deep down we all enjoy breaking stuff that doesn't belong to us. <laughs> yes, which is why I'm not allowed on public Minecraft servers anymore. <laughs> I'm joking. I've never been on a public Minecraft server. It's me. Come on. I mean, even on a private one, you build something and you're like, I got the recipe for TNT. I I can. (laughs) (laughs) I got all the ingredients. Um, What's the worst that could happen? Exactly. And then you find out several seconds later. Oh, no, I'm drowning in lava. Oh, well. Oh, well. (laughs) I mean, I think I've even killed spiders in Minecraft with lava buckets. So, <laughs> you know, it's all related. But it, yeah, it's very over the top, uh, goofy fun. I recommend checking it out. I got it on Game Pass. Don't expect like a huge in-depth game. It really is just what it is, surface level. Mm. But yeah, if you just like destroying stuff, which you should play it well uh the game that i played this week was infernex which is being marketed as a zelda vania so it's a cross between the legend of zelda and castlevania and i definitely see the elements they're drawing from here because this feels very much like a synthesis of castlevania 2 and zelda 2 probably the two black sheep of their respective series on the nes and I'm having a great time with it so far. I think this is a great platformer. It's pretty challenging, and it's got a simple world to explore. It's got very 8-bit style graphics. It's not too fancy visually, but it's got a lot of great visual flourishes to it. Like uh, I play as this lord who's come home from the Crusades to find that his kingdom has been corrupted by all kinds of monsters and black magic, and he has to go around invading the five castles that are dotted throughout the land to kill the monster that's inside and every so often he's presented with a moral choice and that's where the graphics really you know kick up a notch you get this really nice pixel art portrait of the situation and you're asked questions like this 
villager is in obvious agony and he asks you to kill him and you can choose to help him or you can choose to grant his request of a mercy kill and what you choose will result in a new pixel art portrait coming up that is really nice to look at uh, but it, it's a it's a pretty gruesome game i would not recommend this even with the 8-bit graphics to children because like I i'm hitting things with the player character's mace and he's just getting splattered in blood and there's zombies feasting on corpses every few screens and like when you kill monsters they explode into guts and viscera it's pretty disgusting actually uh, there's even a disclaimer on the title screen here we go. Not suitable for kids. This game contains mature themes that may not be suitable for everyone, ranging from saucy language, acts of violence in the names of justice, copious amounts of gore, and half-clothed demon people of varying degrees of attractiveness. By playing this game, you hereby agree that you are cool with this. Cool? Cool. That's that's the first that. screen of the game. Saucy language. <laughs> <laughs> I like a, uh, a disclaimer just written in, in super casual, kind of like surfer bro language <laughs> and that's kind of the sense of humor the entire game has as i said it's pretty challenging and considering it's drawing from zelda 2 and castlevania 2 two infamously challenging games that should really come as no surprise to people uh the level structure is a lot like castlevania 2 but the combat and the spells play more like uh, Zelda 2 so it's sort of like you're playing Castlevania 2 with the link from Zelda 2 uh, hopefully you actually played those two games so that comparison will make sense to you uh, but... I, Zelda 2 was my first ever video game mm -hmm, mm -hmm. good choice um, I'm watching watching some gameplay of it at the moment and it is very Zelda 2 with the combat yeah yeah you got to jump in and uh uh, swing your sword strategically like you can't just charge at enemies at, uh, spamming the attack button otherwise they'll get hits in on you you'll eventually die and like the player character has a shield and you can block projectiles with it whether you're standing or crouching and it's hard to do but you can also block melee weapons with it by standing or crouching as well and high-end play re relies upon doing that successfully and there are spells you can get like one of them heals you one of them is a shield spell that will reduce the damage you take from monsters for the duration of that screen these are all mechanics pulled straight out of zelda 2 we're talking a lot about small sample sizes in this episode but tori and i are both zelda 2 fans i'm a big zelda 2 fan i'm a big apologist for it i mean it's i love it yeah, great. Okay, I, I didn't want to speak for you because I didn't know how, if you actually uh, were fond of it or if you were just, you know, you just knew about it. <laughs> but, I, like, I anyway. see why people don't like it, but mm -hmm. I still love it. It was okay. experimental. I say if you liked Zelda 2, which I know is uh, not many of you, <laughs> then you will definitely like Infernax. It does have some quality of life features to it that do make it more friendly than Zelda 2. Like there are there are real checkpoints in the game uh, versus Zelda 2 where if you ran out of lives and died, you went all the way back to the beginning of the game, which did super suck, especially if you were getting towards the end of the game and there was a very long walk back to where you died. That was no fun. Here, there's just checkpoints 
dotted throughout the world, and there's always checkpoints outside of the five castles you have to raid. One interesting thing, though, is that one checkpoint outside of the castle is the only checkpoint that you get. So you have to do that entire castle from that one checkpoint. And there's two difficulty modes that are all built around these checkpoints. There's a classic difficulty where every time you die, you roll back to your last checkpoint. You lose all the experience you gained, all the items you picked up, all the doors you opened, all that progress rolls back. Then there's the casual mode where when you die, you just go back to your last checkpoint, but everything you did persists, which I think is a really nice compromise between the two. I've been soldiering on with the uh, the classic mode. I, I have been managing it. I've just had to uh, take a few extra trips back to the checkpoint <laughs> uh, when I've been pushing a little bit too far or like when I found a key or something that I, I want to actually save. I'll... I'll walk back out of the castle to save, which is also having the side effect of letting me grind out quite a few more experience points, because again, like Zelda 2, this is a game driven by experience points, and you can enhance the player character's strength, health, or magic total. That's drawn straight from Zelda 2. Like, seriously, this this game is. It's Zelda 2 with the Castlevania 2 world structure, and that's the game. I think if you liked either of those two games or you just like a, a challenging indie platformer, then you'll have a good time with this. I recommend it. I really like that it's advertising itself as 8-bit inspired and actually having the palette limitation for those screens. I like it when games do that. Like uh, mm. A lot of games will call themselves retro or 8-bit and then they'll do things that you could not do on the old hardware with like the color limits. Uh, Infernax is really pulling that off. There was another game I played a couple years back called Panzer Paladin, which did the uh, limited color plot thing too. So like the the Panzer, the character you played as, was orange. Not a great color to pick for your player character, especially when the entire character is orange. But it had a really cool like weapon construction system in it. You could actually draw pixel by pixel your own weapons and it would add it to this online pool of weapons that would drop for anybody playing the game. That's cool. That is really cool. It's a really cool idea, except you could only use black, white, orange, and like puke yellow as the colors to build your <laughs> weapon. Um. <laughs> yeah, that that wasn't so great, but... That would if if you had the internet back in the NES days, that's what it would be like. <laughs> <laughs> Almost definitely, but Infernax is so far is pulling off that limited color plot much more effectively than I, I feel Panzer Paladin did. But Panzer Paladin was still a good platformer, and I recommend that one too if you want to take a look back for it. Yeah, the animation looks straight out of Zelda too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Super inspired by it. There are multiple weapons. Uh, which I think are going to function more like the other weapons in Castlevania. I I've seen some clips showing things more like that. Right now, I've just got a, a little mace, which works basically like the, the sword in Zelda 2. So just poke, 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 poke. I think that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, Tori, what are you planning to play in the coming week? Still more Rumpa. <laughs> but um, I want to go through and play all the, the classic Mario Kart games as well, leading up to the uh, the booster course pack, whatever they're calling it. I think that's out next week now that I think about it. I think that's in March. Oh, is it was in March? Okay. So it's about a month know. from now. <laughs> <laughs> what is time? 
We've already established it doesn't exist. Well, I played Infernax this week, and I'm still working on finishing it, but I think I'll have time next week to start Ocean's Heart as well, because as I said, it's a bit of a lull right now, but the week after that is Triangle Strategy, which I think is going to be a huge release for the year, and I'm sure Andy will be joining us again for that episode, but we'll be back next week, probably just me and Tori. Thanks for listening to this episode of Enfocus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Also, make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayStation for PlayStation and Power of X for Xbox. Also, be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively game podular community. You can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at gamepodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all of these are in our show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can also buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. The details for both of these are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew. You can follow him on Twitter at PlayCritically and also check out his long-form reviews at playcritically.com. You can also follow myself on Twitter at stwtwo, that's two two and also my streams at twitch.tv slash ToriSTW.